Please be seated. One of the areas where God is so good to us is in the kids' church. And uh, we all enjoy our kids' church here and we love it. It's one of the distinguishing features of this church. Thanks, Sam. But there have been some pretty distressing reports recently about the mistreatment of little children. When we think about what Jesus said about children, about letting little children come to him, their wonderful innocence and the seriousness of causing children to sin, we should realise how important children are and still are to Jesus. And this was especially true in his time when children had low status in society. But the importance of children is just as important today. We've talked about this and discussed it and prayed about it in our home groups on more than one occasion. And I thought, let us as church pray for children today. Please join with me. Father, we thank you for the unique creation in which you've made every child and how you've made them in your image. We thank you for the potential for good and greatness in even the smallest baby. Father, we thank you for the blessings our children bring to us as parents, whether as babies, infants, school children, teenagers, even as adults. Forgive us as parents for our mistakes. Forgive us for those who are grandparents when we see our children making the same mistakes we did in their parenting and then we don't speak up. We pray today, Lord God, for children forced to grow up without the parenting you intended. Children with parents who give higher priorities to work or sport or other activities. Children whose parents are fighting or addicted to drugs or alcohol. Where one or both have deserted their children, including through marriage, breakdown and divorce. We pray especially for those children forced to live without parents. <clears throat> In years gone by, those taken away from their parents because of their race. And these days, where the state takes the children away because their home is considered to be unsafe or the children are not being cared for properly. In particular, Father, we do pray for these distressing numbers of children being taken into state care, from which, which from what we read about and see about and hear about, seems to be little better as an environment to raise children. So we pray for wisdom for those you've placed in positions of authority in our community who, though well-intentioned, seem lost in their efforts to ensure better outcomes for these damaged kids. And we pray for those who adopt children or are willing to adopt and the many barriers and burdens they face from bureaucratic government. We pray you will keep our children safe from predators, whether they be in our community, online in some form or another, in our schools, in organisations involved in sport or other activities, and especially in those institutions charged by government with looking after kids' welfare. Father, we thank you for the children's education in our community. We thank you for our Sunday school, and others like it, where these young ones can learn about you. Bless them, please, Father, and those who teach them. We pray for your blessing too for Christian schools where children are being educated in a Christian environment. We pray too for private schools where at least godly values and behaviour are being taught, if not Christianity, directly. 
And we do pray for children being educated in state schools where Christianity is now often banned and current fashionable secular ideas, values and morals are being taught instead whilst literacy and numeracy decline. Please, Father, watch over all these children, Father. And we thank you, Father, for our brothers and sisters in Christ who sacrifice to educate their children at home. Please encourage and bless them too. Father, we thank you that our children are born and grow up in this lucky country. But when we think about children and childhood in much of the rest of the world, we can only cry out to you for mercy and compassion and justice. When we think of children killed in the indiscriminate violence of wars or oppression or losing parents in that same violence, show us, Father, if there's a more than we can do other than just pray. When we think of all the children being exploited as a cheap resource or kidnapped by terrorists or starving or struck down by diseases, where all such horrors are preventable, Please show us, Father, if there is more than we can, the, that we can do, more than just pray. So we do thank you, Father, for those organisations that support missions to needy children, like Compassion and World Vision and our own church's efforts in Africa. And we pray that you will continue to bless them. And we pray all these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Richard. I was reminded as Richard was praying, and I'm, I was going to bring it up in my message this morning, that Jesus said uh, to enter the kingdom, we have to have a childlike faith, <laughs> that innocence of just simply trusting and, and believing rather than reasoning and arguing and thinking we know better. Uh, and that's kind of where we're, we're heading this morning. So thank you, Richard. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Sam Barnes. I'm the pastor here at the Hills Christian Family Centre. I particularly want to welcome you if you're new or visiting uh, or if you're online perhaps for the first time this morning. just want to say hello to you and welcome to our church. I uh, trust that you sense God's presence amongst us as we gather together in his name and we worship him uh, when we don't worship ourselves. <laughs> We worship Jesus. He is the author and the, the centre of all that we do. He is the head of this church. And uh, we have been, if you are new, we've been uh, going through a series, a teaching series, looking at the, the book of Acts. We're saying it's not Acts of the Apostles that might be written in your Bibles, but really it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is the one that is at work, uh, continuing to minister, and, and Jesus, the, through the risen Jesus is continuing to do things uh, in and through the disciples uh, as they go and spread the gospel. And we've been talking about a number of questions as we go through this book. And uh, you might think, here we go again with these questions, but it's really important that we consider them, uh, particularly today, I think, in today's passage. One of them was, what are you challenged by? As you go through the gospel, uh, the the book of Acts, what challenges your thinking, perhaps your theology? Uh, what challenges your traditions uh, as you look at the early church as they uh, adjust to this new way of living as what it means to be a church and spreading the gospel? 
what is it that challenges your own thinking? Because today we're going to have a story where one of the heroes of the faith was challenged and had to be questioned about what he thought, what his traditions held him back from. In fact, I want to start by saying, have you ever had a, a time in your life where perhaps you had a, a prejudice towards a, a person or a thing, or maybe your own upbringing, your culture, your, the rituals, the traditions that you had been part of, perhaps going to church in a particular way, has there been a time in your life where those things have stopped you from actually seeing truth or seeing freedom or actually walking into something that was good that you particularly thought perhaps was bad? Have you had a, a time in your life where that has happened? Have a think about that and we're going to bring that up again later on. So we're uh, seeing that the gospel... Jesus said to his disciples, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we've seen in all of the chapters up until now, the disciples have been uh, growing the church in Jerusalem. And then uh, last couple of chapters, starting it's starting to spread Ethiopian eunuch, uh, Philip in Samaria. Now, all of a sudden, we're starting to see the gospel spread into these regions, but it's still attached to the Jewish people. All of the people up until now have either been converts to Judaism or they've been attached uh, through being Samaritans, sort of half uh, Jewish. This is a turning point in church history. Acts chapter 9, which we looked at last week with the conversion of Paul, and Acts chapter 10 is a pivotal point in church history where it's no longer just to a Jewish nation, but all of a sudden the gospel is being spread, hallelujah, because we are all Gentiles, to the Gentile nations. And we see this in Acts chapter 10. So if you've got your Bibles or if you need your Bible apps open to go through it with us, we're going to be going through uh, Acts chapter 10 verse by verse. Um, I'll assume you're not playing solitaire on your phone as I'm preaching. That's okay, so have them out ready. But I just want to start by saying Acts chapter 10. We might not actually think about this. This is 10 years after Jesus' resurrection. Ten whole years have passed and still the church is, hasn't actually fully uh, walked into the purpose and the plan of God by spreading the gospel to all nations. Isn't that interesting? Whole 10 years have passed. We might read Acts and just go, this happened and then next week that happened and then next week that happened and then next week that happened. But a whole heap of time has passed. In fact, um, the, the council in Jerusalem, which is Acts chapter 15, is another five years from now where the church finally get this whole idea that the gospel is for all people, 15 years after the resurrection, about the time when, when um, Paul was reading, writing his letter to the Galatians where he said there's no longer slave nor free, male or female, Jew or Gentile. We are all one family. So I just want to start by saying, hey, you be encouraged because the Lord might have put something in your heart years ago. The Lord might have called you to a particular ministry or have a heart for starting perhaps something new that's never been done before. 
and there's this stirring in your heart and you might be feeling a little bit discouraged that it hasn't yet come to pass, be encouraged because the early church took 10 years to get this whole point. And there might be time yet to come. There might be people that have had to come into your life to to speak it or to be part of it. There might have been circumstances that you had to learn from in order for that seed of what God has wanted to do in your heart to come to fruition. So here we see what Paul talked about in um, Colossians. He said, I want to present the word of God in its fullness, the mystery, except it wasn't really a mystery because throughout the Old Testament it was always pointing to this, always pointing to Christ. Abraham will bless all nations. Mystery that being kept hidden for ages for the, the Jewish generations is now being disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known to the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you might think, well, surely they knew this. You you read the Gospels and you think, well, Jesus taught the disciples this message to the Gentiles, to to the nations. The Gospels were actually written after this. (laughs) So when, um, for example, in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, in other words, not of the Jewish nation, the Gentiles, and I must bring them in also, and they too will listen to my voice. They will know me. We talked about that last week. If you know Jesus, you know his voice. And they shall be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus talked about what was going to happen here now in Acts 10, but it's only, I think, as the disciples kind of have this experience and actually see what God is doing through the Holy Spirit as the early church is built up, that they look back and they remember, oh, yeah, he said that. Oh, yeah, now that makes sense. Now I understand. Because the, the Gospel of Mark was written another 25 to 30 years after this event, which was our first Gospel. And, oh, yeah. Jesus said, go into the world and baptise people of all nations. (laughs) Now I get it, as we're seeing the gospel spread. So that's a bit of an introduction. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about uh, Cornelius and Peter. It's a famous story. You might know it well. And I hope that we might bring out some, some fresh insight as we look at this story of Acts chapter 10. So at Caesarea, this is not Caesarea Philippi where Jesus um, took his disciples often. It's It's another Caesarea up the coast. There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. Centurions are often uh, painted in good light in the Bible. There are a number of stories of centurions, particularly the one who says, you know, I don't need you to come, just command it, and I know that it's going to be healed. I'm a man under authority. Centurions were well-rounded people. They had to be because they were in charge of 100 soldiers, hence the name Centurion. They're in charge of 100 people. And he was part of this Italian regiment. Now, what we know about this man Cornelius is that he and his family were devout and God-fearing. What does that term God-fearing mean? He believed and he prayed to and he trusted in the God of Israel. He, uh, he worshipped, 
Uh, he prayed, he, he gave alms, he, he, he was charitable, uh, yet he was quite rightly so not willing to go through all of the customs of what it meant to become a Jew. Uh, f- to do that, you would have to be circumcised and you'd have to follow all sorts of uh, eating laws and festival laws and all of these things. So a God-fearing person believed and prayed to and trusted in the God of Israel, yet wasn't fully Jewish, wasn't willing to uh, be fully into that thing. So we have here a Gentile man and and his family. And one day at about three in the afternoon, now this is a time of prayer. Remember Peter and John went to pray in the temple at three in the afternoon. This was a normal time of prayer. At three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. I think it's a pretty pretty common uh, thing that happens when you're in front of an angel. He is a military man, though, who would have seen a lot of battle and a lot of full-on stuff, yet he is gripped with fear at this sight of an angel. And he says, what is it, Lord? He asks. Now, what's interesting is Cornelius's response to the angel or to the Lord. Last week, we talked about the contrast between uh, Paul and Ananias' response. Uh, Paul didn't know who the Lord was. He didn't have a relationship with God. And Ananias um, was just like, yes, Lord, what is it? What do you want me to do? And there was this uh, discipleship walk in, in hearing this call. And again, Cornelius, he doesn't say, well, who are you or, or what on earth is going on? His response, his heart is there to say, yes, what is it, Lord? And it's in prayer that he has this response. Many things of God start in prayer. Many things of God uh, mean when we are positioning ourselves to be in that time of prayer. In fact, when Peter gets his vision, he is also in prayer. And so this is birthed out of people being uh, in a moment of devotion and, and prayer to God, and God comes to them in that time of prayer. God speaks in many ways, but it's often through times of prayer when God really opens up our eyes to the things of God. And he says, what, what is it, Lord? What are, what are you asking me to do? We, we see here this, this contrast between someone who is open to bit like before I said, a childlike faith. Here's, here's a man who doesn't have the Jewish traditions. He doesn't have the upbringing. He doesn't have the culture. He doesn't have the rituals. He doesn't have all of these things getting in the way of what it means to respond to and see the path and the purposes of God. He, he's just simply childlike faith. What is it, Lord? What is it that you're asking me to do? Now, The angel doesn't preach to Cornelius. Last week we had Paul on the road to Damascus 
And the Lord called Ananias from another town to come to him. We say, why don't why don't you just cut out the middleman? Why don't you just say, Paul, uh, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, but be saved now. Go to the Gentiles, <laughs> because he wants to use you and I in his purposes and plans. The angel doesn't just present the gospel to Cornelius, and Cornelius is saved, and the household, and they 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 go off, but. Cornelius needs Peter. But here's the interesting thing. Peter needs Cornelius. We need each other in the kingdom of God. We need to be uh, speaking into each other. Because what's interesting is Cornelius is in Caesarea. Do you know who else is in Caesarea at this time? Philip the evangelist. He's staying. He probably would be a couple of streets away. Why doesn't the Lord call Philip, who's already had success in Samaria, he's, uh, he's done the Ethiopian eunuch, he's baptised him, and, and he's, you know, why, not, why not call Philip? Why call Peter? Because Peter needs to learn a really important lesson. And it's often in the ministry, it's often in the call, it's often in walking in the calling and the purposes of God that we learn what we need to learn and understand. Because if you and I had to have it all together before we're called, nothing would ever get done. I'm learning things now that I'm having to unlearn from earlier on in my life. (laughs) And I'm sure there'd be stories amongst us all the further we go, the more we mature, the more Christ-like we come uh, in our journey of faith, the more we understand and comprehend and perhaps understand that we didn't really have it all together when we thought we did. And we need to learn along the way. And so Peter is needing to learn an important lesson. In fact, here we have uh, Joppa and up to Caesarea is a two-day journey, 35 miles So he could have just called someone in Caesarea, but no, Peter needed to go on a journey. The angel answered, he said, your prayers, here it is, so it's birthed in prayer, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering. Now that word memorial is where we get our our English word of of memory. So it's like the, the Lord is there and is remembering Cornelius's prayers. His prayers come to mind and, 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 and cause the Lord to act in this situation. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man whose name is Simon, who's called Peter, Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner. Now just an interesting side note, Tanners were working with uh, leather, with animal hides, and so this so already something's starting to shift in Peter's mind because for a Jewish man to be in, in a house where there's, there's leather and there's, there's unclean animals being worked with was, was not kosher. So something is already starting to be birthed in Peter, but it needs the full revelation to come to pass. So he, he's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel spoke to him, had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants, a, a devout soldier and one of his attendants, and he told them everything 
and sent them off to Joppa. So go to Joppa, get this man, Simon Peter, uh, because the angel has told him to come because he's going to come and speak to us. So about noon the following day, when they're on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the rooftop to pray. There it is again. God's doing something in the midst of prayer. Now what's interesting about Peter and and his position is the time of day it is. Now in the Middle East, in the Palestine region, you do not put yourself in the full sun in the middle of the day because it is jolly hot. And up on the roof there was no shade cloth over the top. Uh, The open top roofs uh, in Palestine... So something's going on here, though. Maybe there's commotion in the house. Uh, maybe Peter's, you know, feeling like, oh, just I need time with God. He's positioning himself to be able to hear from God. In amongst maybe stress, in amongst the busyness of life, in amongst uh, all that's going on, Maybe the meal's being prepared and there's banging and clanging of pots. Who knows what's happening? But what we do know is that Peter is willing to go into the heat of the day to position himself to have time to be with God. How do we position ourselves in, the, in amongst our business, in amongst our hectic life, in amongst our stress, in amongst our parenting with children? Are we willing to go somewhere even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though it might be hot, to position ourselves to have time with God to hear from him? Well, this is what Peter does and role models that to us. He went to the roof to pray. He became hungry. Well, it is noon. It's lunchtime. And he wanted something to eat. Here is the humanity of the disciples portrayed in the book of Acts. I love that. He's hungry, wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, is he falling into a trance because he's starving or because the sun's beating down on his head? We don't know. But what we do know is that in this time, the Lord speaks to him. And he says, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth on its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Typical Peter response here. (laughs) This is the Peter we know and love. How many times did he put his foot in it? How many times did he tell the Lord what he was wrong? Surely not, Lord. No, Lord. -uh 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 -uh. No, you've got it wrong. You don't understand. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. What's going on here? Being kosher and being Jewish, there was a whole heap of laws to do with what you could eat. Uh, you know, pigs being one of the things that would be disgusting. And so when the prodigal son went to go uh, feed pigs, that would have been the most down, horrible thing for a Jewish person to have ever done. Yuck. 
would be paraphrasing. And now here's this vision of all kinds of animals that are not kosher to eat according to customs, according to ritual. And now the Lord is saying, hey, eat it. Something's shifting here uh, in the purposes of God. It's pretty interesting that Peter says, surely not Lord. It's a contradiction, actually. No Lord. Well, if Jesus is Lord, you can't say no. So Jesus is either, uh, Peter is either saying, well, you're not Lord, (laughs) or I'm not submitted to your Lordship. I'm not willing to, for you to be Lord in all the areas of my life. It's a lesson for us all there, isn't there? Uh, Is Jesus Lord of all? Is he Lord of our finances, of our relationships, of our secret places, of our vocation, of our call? Is he Lord in everything? Or are there some times where we say no, Lord, and not willing to submit to his lordship? So compare no with Cornelius's, what is it, Lord? There is an openness. <laughs> there is an openness <laughs> to hearing the voice of God because he has a childlike faith. Paul and Peter had baggage. They had traditions and rituals that held them back from fully seeing and fully walking in the purposes of God. Cornelius didn't have any baggage. What is it, Lord? What do you want me to do? What baggage do we have when it comes to hearing from God? You see, there are two types of law given in the Old Testament. One type of law was to do with God's character, who he is, his goodness, and as we are made in the image of God, how we reflect that goodness. Many of the laws in the Old Testament to do with how we treat one another and how God treats us, how we are to love our neighbour as ourselves. All of this is to do with the character and the purpose of God. There are other laws that are to do with traditions and to do with the people of Israel being set apart as holy. Now, all through the Old Testament, prophets say this, the Lord says it, angels says it, that that Israel is to be a light to the nations, that Israel is to be set apart in order to bless the nations. So there had to be something different about this group of people that other people look to and go, oh, that's that nation. Look, they're different. They're set apart. They're holy. And part of their holinesses and set-apartnesses was these, these laws and customs and eating rites and circumcision and all of these things that set them apart and was different. What we have here is a an unravelling of those second laws. The first laws stay the same because God is the same today, forever and always. His character never changes. Yet we have these other laws that are no longer necessary because the people of Israel are no longer going to be part of the story. It's the church that's now birthing the kingdom of God. 
And so we might look at some of their laws in the Old Testament and go, oh, I have to follow those and I have to follow those. Which, which, which law is it? Because here we're seeing the new covenant, that Jesus is doing a new thing amongst us. Better move on. The voice, <laughs> we're only halfway through the, the chapter. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. Now, a lot of things happened for Peter three times. <laughs> Jesus said to him, you'll disown me three times before the rooster crows. Three times. When Jesus restores Peter on the beach, do you love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Yeah, yes, Lord. Do you love me, Peter? Three times. He restores him. And here again for Peter, three times this vision has to happen. And I wonder if it has to happen three times because Peter is still thinking, surely not, Lord, no way. Uh, uh, uh. See, his traditions and prejudices were holding him back. Uh, I said at the start, have you had any time in your life where, where that's been the case? I grew up in a typical Aussie family and our meals were meat and three veg. Had to have a piece of meat on it and you had to have potatoes either mashed, boiled or roasted and some peas or some broccoli or something as, as well, right? That, that was all I knew. That was, that was my upbringing. I didn't know anything else in terms of any cultural food. I didn't know what Indian was. I didn't know what Mexican was. And then I met this beautiful woman, Joe who introduced me to the world of cuisine. And oh my goodness, like we'd go to a, a restaurant and I'd go like, what's the closest to meat and three veg that I could? <laughs> because I didn't understand the language. I didn't understand what it was going to be like. These, these traditions and these customs were holding me back from actually experiencing something that was good. It was good. I remember going to a restaurant for her birthday, um, and it was one of these places where you, you just pay and they do seven courses, and pretty much every, and you don't get to choose what it is. The, the, the chef chooses it for you, and pretty much every course that came out was something that I would never, ever choose off of a list. Like we got these octopus pasta and, and, and all these things, things. But by golly, every single dish was so delicious. And I would have missed out on knowing what that tasted like if, if I had have held on to my traditions. Another tradition, and I've used this example many times, is that for me, movies were all about action. However many explosions you can have in car chases, that was what entertainment was. Until, of course, Joe introduced me to, oh, it's not there. I had a picture of Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice, right? Oh, my goodness. Now I understand what entertainment is and what true drama is about. What, a, what an amazing... Anyway. But, but here is Peter, and he's got his meat and three veg. He's got his action movies. And, and, and the Lord's saying, hey, Pride and Prejudice is where it's at. And he's saying, no, no way. And he's thinking and he's processing. And, and it's on the journey and it's 
in the ministry that the Lord opens his eyes to the truth of the gospel, that it is for all people. There is no slave free, female, male, Jew, Gentile. There should, there should be no barrier to anybody hearing the good news of Jesus. Jesus died once and for all for all people, for all time, in all places. And Peter is now learning that lesson. Where are we up to? Uh, so he's wondering about the meaning of the, the vision. And, and the men from, from Cornelius' house come and say, um, look, this is, this is what's happened. This guy's asking for you um, to come back with him. And so the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Just a couple of side notes. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> do you know Jesus called Peter Simon, son of Jonah? Uh, when, when he revealed, uh, you, are, you are the Messiah, and he said, Simon, Simon son of Jonah, God did, uh, man didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. There was a, a prophet in the Old Testament who didn't want God's grace to go to another nation. What was his name? Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah, has he got that cultural background that he's taken on board with this mentality? And where was it that Jonah set off in the boat? Anyone? Joppa. Isn't that interesting? I find those things fascinating. Anyway, the next day, Peter started out with them. Uh, some of your translations would, would actually give the number of, of people there. We have nine people traveling. Now, for a witness, for, for in a court of law or for witnesses, you had to have three people say that something happened for, for it to be true. So we've got three times the amount of people going as witnesses to find out whether this is so they're wanting to make sure that this is of God and that they've got the right number of witnesses. And they arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. If you've got your Bibles, underline that. Cornelius was expecting them. What a beautiful picture of faith. Here is this man, has a vision, he's obedient, and he doesn't just sit around going, what's next? He's expectant. He is on, his, he's on the front foot. He's, he's believing, he's trusting, and he's so much so that he gathers his relatives around and his close friends. It's not just him there waiting. He's like, something's going to happen. I anticipate this is going to be a big thing. I have faith in this, and I'm expecting these people to come. How expectant are we in our lives when we come even to church? that God's going to do something in our lives like Cornelius was. He was expectant. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. We, we see this pretty much every chapter of Acts, don't we? Where the apostles, the disciples are saying, I'm just a human being. There's nothing special about me. Stop worshipping mankind. It's Jesus we worship. I'm nothing special. Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. 
While talking with him, Peter went inside. He found a large gathering of people. Pretty big for Peter to go into a Gentile house. In fact, he says it. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against the law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. What is it that you ask me to do? I'm just going to skip over this next little bit because Cornelius repeats the same thing. But he says, now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Imagine that. You're Peter and you've got this amazing scenario happening and you're walking along the road, two days journey. It's like, what What am I going to say? What is going on? Cornelius says, now here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to say. Now go. <laughs> um, right, I'm in a Gentile house. Um, I'm still learning and coming to grips with what's going on here. But Peter began to speak and he simply presents the gospel. In fact, pretty much all of Peter's sermons in the book of Acts simply and purely present the gospel. Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He came, he took upon the sin of the world, he died on the cross, he rose again, we are witnesses to his resurrection, and he has called us to participate in his kingdom to come. That's the gospel. I think sometimes when we feel like we're presenting others with the gospel, we actually aren't presenting the gospel. We might be presenting a good, feel-good message like Jesus loves you and, and you know, Sincere, and if you're a sincere person, and you, you know, but here Peter presents the pure gospel, announcing good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And you know, because the the name got around about what happened, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went around doing good, healing all those who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. And we are witnesses of everything he did in the country to the Jews, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day, caused him to be seen. This is why, this is why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says, this is the gospel. Jesus died and he was raised to life again. That is the gospel that we must also present. And so as Peter's preaching, as he's simply saying the gospel, as he was saying these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. What we have here is Pentecost 2.0. Do you remember at Pentecost, they're in the upper room and everyone who was there, the Spirit came upon? There wasn't anyone who missed out. Here, as the Spirit is given to the Gentile believers, everyone who's the whole household receives the Spirit. And for this, for them, is like a seal of approval. This is proof that the message is going to the Gentiles. They've got the Spirit as we've got the Spirit. 
how is there to be any any differentiation now? So Peter learnt in this experience that his traditions, his prejudices, his culture was holding him back from really fully seeing the purposes and the plan of God for the gospel to go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, all people groups of all time. Now what's interesting is if any of you uh, know your Bibles, you might know of a time where Peter fell back into his old ways and Paul had to actually confront Peter. It says in Galatians here, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, so James was the, the leader of the Jerusalem church, He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of what those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that their hypocrisy, oh no, even Barnabas was led astray. We love Barnabas, son of encouragement. Interesting that Peter learns this lesson and yet later in his life falls back. Do you know why? Because our prejudices, our customs, and our rituals are a strong force. They are a very strong force. And they can pull us back. When Jesus hung on the cross and he died, the the curtain was torn in two. The old covenant, the old sacrificial system was done away with and you and I can come into right relationship, into his presence. And that freedom of life, that freedom of relationship is what he wants to birth in us every single day and to be reminded of. We need to be reminded of the object of our worship, not the way we worship Because sometimes our worship, our devotion, our prayer, our even way we come to church and express ourselves is all caught up in tradition, is all caught up in ritual, is all caught up perhaps in thinking differently. Jesus says, I'm making things new. I am having a new covenant where it's about relationship. It says, uh, it says, Jesus said that and it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean. It's not what you eat that makes you unclean, it's the heart. Jesus here is teaching Peter that it's not about traditions, it's not about rituals, it's not what you bring in, it's not the appearance of the outsiders, but it's about a matter of the heart. That the transformation of the heart is what makes all the difference to bring us into freedom, to bring us into life, to bring us into the newness of faith that Cornelius and his household experienced because they didn't have the baggage. I'm going to invite the music team to come up.
we're going to have a time of communion now. And it's a meal that celebrates all that Jesus has done for us. It celebrates the gospel that Jesus came and he took upon himself our prejudices, our sins, the things that perhaps hold us back. And he dealt with all of And he removes it all. And what's left is a beautiful relationship with him, a newness and a freedom of life. The Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. It's pretty interesting that it just came to mind then that this was the Passover. This was one of the traditions in which Jesus brings about something new. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, listen to this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. There is a new way to worship. There is a new way to pray. There is a new way of devotion, of service. And it's to do with me and knowing what I've done for you. Not about what you do, not about your efforts, not about your striving, not about what you're capable of doing. It's not about your traditions. It's not about whether you pray three times a day. It's not about whether you eat the right things. It's about my body broken for you, about my blood shed for you. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what we do is what the Saviour commanded us to do, is we participate in this meal and we remember his death on the cross, his resurrection to life, what he has won for us and the freedom that he's bought. As we do this this morning, the, the musicians are going to play a song that is a beautiful song. It says, nothing is holding me back from you. And as you come forward to receive Uh, the bread and the wine this morning you might want to even mingle here for for a bit just think about your own life your own circumstances is there anything in my life that is holding me back from you is there anything in my life that is holding me back from fully entering the goodness that you have for me is there something in my theology in my traditions in the way that I pray the way that I worship that you're wanting to break in me today so that I might say nothing is holding me back from entering into a beautiful, right relationship with you, just like Cornelius. What is it, Lord? I'm open. Speak for your servant is listening. So I invite this side to go this way. (laughs) Um, come Come out the front. 
and grab the emblems and then head down the middle. And then once this side is done, I'll ask that these to do the same, head to the side and then come down the middle, head back to your seats. Hold on to the bread and to the wine. We're going to eat and drink together, celebrating all that Christ has done for us. So feel free to come and use this time, use this song as the musicians play. You might want to say, Lord, what is it? Speak to me. Do a new thing in my heart. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to come. stand together, can we? Just while the musicians are continuing to play, just, just have a moment of, in silence as you hold this that represents what Jesus has done for you and ask him to speak into your life to reveal to you what it is that is potentially holding you back from the full picture of what he has for you. Lord Jesus, we are aware of our sinfulness and we are aware of potentially the things that hold us back from you things that we've maybe even held on to as an idol we've held on to as our expression of worship or our expression of devotion that that really are just a tradition and yet you have come to make a new covenant with us where you make all things new where you strip away those things that are a barrier between us, like the curtain. And you strip that away in order to allow us into beautiful, right relationship and freedom and life, to give us the Holy Spirit, to give us joy and peace in our, in our homes and our beings. So Lord, we are sorry for where we've held on to these things more than holding on to you. And we ask, Lord, that you do a work in our life just like you did for Peter, where you showed him the truth that life with you is not about tradition, but it is about joy of relationship. And Lord, thank you for the cross where you made all this possible for you and for I. So Jesus, thank you for your your body that was beaten and bruised for your blood that was shed. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take and eat the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and take and drink the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ.
wonder if we might maybe sing a, a verse, a chorus, and a bridge and a chorus or something. While we're still in this time of Lord speaking to us and ministering to us, let's sing this song as a prayer, as a declaration that nothing is holding us back. You've done all, all, all things. Thanks. great a great great song um, my prayer is that um, as we've sung that that has been our response we've heard the gospel this morning and that that's a good thing um, yeah and I, I don't think there's anything else I can say to summarize what's been so eloquently put so thanks thanks Sam I yeah just pray that we'll each be able to lay hold of the words of this song and the words that have been preached this morning and yeah just just go through the week and grow in our relationship and the knowledge with of the Lord so uh, that's that's it for the formal side of the service this morning. Please hang around for a chat and a, a tea or a coffee. Uh, if there's something you'd like to pray about, uh, our prayer team will be in the prayer room just sort of on the right uh, before you go out the doors as well. And yeah, just pray God's blessing on each and every one of you here in this place and online in this coming week. Thanks.